life can be different for you, that God has something for you other than, you know, what you see is is, uh, violence and you see poverty and you see tenements and you see those types of things. There is life outside and inside of all that. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest today is Felicia Thompson, a woman who desires to see local churches everywhere meet the needs of the neighborhood around them, even as they reach out to the world. We'll begin today's interview in just a moment. Our new partner giving support to this weekly program is the Far East Broadcasting Company. I hope you'll take the time to learn more about FEBC and the ways it honors the gospel through radio. You'll learn that at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. While you're at the site, please take the time to view our upcoming schedule and the audio archive of past programs. It's all at firstpersoninterview.com. For instance, last week's guest was author Joel Rosenberg, and if you missed his personal story, you can listen online. In addition to the online archive, you can access First Person as a podcast through your favorite smartphone app as well as iTunes. Felicia Thompson is a gifted leader and teacher. She has served a diverse list of organizations with her skills, always bringing extraordinary intelligence and expertise and personal grace. Felicia is currently serving as the Director of Domestic Mission for Christ Church in Oak Brook, Illinois. And as we began the conversation, I asked her where she was born. Well, actually in Iowa, if you can believe that. Is that that right? I did not know that. Yeah, I was born in Burlington, Iowa, and then moved to Chicago uh, in the preschool years and settled here, but spent a lot of summers there and in Tennessee. Uh, with family. So I settled in Chicago on the south side, and we began to move as uh, things were changing ethnically in communities to a place called Inglewood, which is kind of notorious now. Mm-hmm. But then it was really, uh, uh, a citadel of culture, I think, when I went there. So that's where I grew up. What about your parents? What were they like? Parents were great. Um, my dad, who was, was from Iowa, was a musician, traveled all around the country singing and traveled with Little Richard and some other folks. And my mom was from uh, Tennessee. And then I had a wonderful stepdad who uh, came t- into our lives when I was about four. And it's been great. They're good people. And uh, my dad, you know, the creative and bubbly and personality. And my mother, uh, just a real disciplined, common sense, salt of the earth kind of woman. Did you grow up in a Christian home? I would, I would churched. I mean, I think that that um, sometimes in, in particularly African American community, it's a tradition. We were churched in, from our history. The church has been the seat for African Americans of culture and for politics and for um, just life direction. But I think you can be in a situation as everybody else knows where you're churched and really don't know Christ mm-hmm. as your Savior. When did that happen for you? Well, I remember when I was seven, this is funny, I was baptized. I knew I would hear the folks in the church talk about Jesus being in the temple at 12. And, you know, he was his own person then and his sins were his own then. And I, I got kind of cautious about becoming 12 for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and But I did get baptized when I was seven. And I remember on my 12th birthday, Starting to count my sins because if the stuff was on me now, yeah, and you, maybe, you were adding it up. Yeah, huh? so so I was doing these little checks on the wall. The the and when, but on my twelfth birthday, I had about twenty six of them, and I figured if life was going to go like this, I was in trouble. Uh-huh. So, but at at about fifteen or sixteen, of some life things going on for me, I really 
caused me to to take pause. One of them was the uh, the ending of the civil rights movement. I think Martin Luther King had been killed, and and I was going to high school in the nineteen late nineteen sixties, and was just wondering about life itself. What was happening? This nonviolent man was being killed. The Kennedys had been shot. Lots of other people had been killed. Malcolm X, what have you? And it just didn't seem like the country was changing. My sister and brother went to this little church around the corner called Laughlin Gospel Chapel, and they would come home singing songs and talking about what they'd learned, and it really sounded like they were studying the scriptures. Not that the church we were at, they weren't doing that, but it could have been just the timing in yeah. life for Something me. Something was different, though, right? Something was different. I was stirring the cultural uh, climate, was making a difference. Yeah, there was so much turmoil in those mm-hmm. days, wasn't mm-hmm, there? Mm-hmm, you know, and so I needed to in my mind, pick a side. And after having seen Martin Luther King die, and then um, the high school I went to was kind of like a, a haven for some budding Black Panther movement mm-hmm. type of language. And these guys were bright uh, college-age students. It was a junior college on the south side within my high school. And so some of that rhetoric was starting to make sense to me. Okay. you know. And I went on the corner to see what my brother and sister were learning at this church. Turns out, um, in 1968 and 69 and 70, there was this bastion of this little church in the neighborhood of people that were from other cultures that didn't look like us who were sharing the gospel. And I got offended a little bit. Why are you still in our neighborhood? Why is it that you feel you need to share and teach us? We already know about God. We've come through slavery. We've come through hard times, Jim Crow South and the great migrations. And here you are, you know, going to share Jesus with us. And and I didn't go as far as this being a white man's religion, but in my head, you know, it was, I was a little upset. Okay. So I began to come and I began to sit in the back and listen. And as God would have it, as the Holy Spirit works, and as God, I think, has a wonderful sense of humor, um, I began to hear about a need for a relationship with Christ that was different from religion and tradition and being a good girl and all those things. And you're a teenager at this point? I'm, I'm about 15 okay. at this point. I go to Sunday school class. Sunday school teaches this Polish woman who assistantly shares the same message. The same message is coming from the pulpit. Um, they would have a few youth youth pieces. And then there was a man at the church who recognized that I was a bright person and probably realized that there was some conflict going on. So he would spend time just talking with me and saying, you have any questions about the Bible? And I would ask, you know, why do you think that? You know, and he would spend the time to research this and come back the next week with probably a two, three page white paper on wow. whatever I was asking. He was serious. He was serious. I think he recognized that there was this searching going on and that maybe I was a little different than everybody else and I needed to, you know, kind of like my own evidence that demands a verdict. Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind a, of per- a personal copy. Huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said uh, personal action in my life, actually. And by the time I was 16, I remember going home and I was cleaning the, the bathtub at our house. And I, I said to the Lord, if you are really real— and you are able to bring peace, and you are able to bring uh, understanding into my life, and and help me in turn to do that for the world. Then I want to try this. It was it's that vivid to you mm-hmm. that you remember the details mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of I cleaning remember. the bathtub while you said that. Cleaning the bathtub because I was the oldest kid, so I cleaned a lot. <laughs> but um, just talking, thinking through 
those things and uh, while I was cleaning up the bathroom, and that's when it happened. Was the difference evident immediately? I think, I think so. I think it probably settled my spirit. It was evident to me that I was different. Um, at the time, you know, I was starting to do some things in the high school, and my, my, my uh, homeroom teacher noticed you're getting involved with the wrong people. And I, mm-hmm. and I don't know if he talked to my mother or my parents noticed it, but they also decided it was probably time for me to transfer to a school. So I ended up going to what's now a prep school downtown Chicago, which was great. And it allowed me to blossom educationally, but more importantly, spiritually. Yeah. I think at that point in my life, I just the leadership piece kicked in. I wasn't ashamed of the gospel. I was devouring C.S. Lewis books. I was reading. Um, uh, I loved a girl. Some books about how do you how do you date? How do you, and, and I loved this stuff. And this same guy would bring these books, and he'd bring me a concordance, and he'd bring me. And on my own, basically, I would read and do screw tape letters. I mean, all kinds of things. He would just give them to me. Did you get any pushback uh, from friends, family? I don't think I, I. You know, I think I was a nice kid, so people didn't expect anything. They didn't know what was going on. So they, but they see me with a Watchman knee book, you know, 16, 17 years old. Yeah. You know, instead of a toes, Malcolm X book. Toes right? or, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and so teachers noticed in school and I think they encouraged it. You know, when I went to school, it was the age where people were people of faith and teachers were, and everybody else was. And so, um, the encouragement I got to just be myself. Um, we had a Bible study in my division <laughs> at division time between classes. In high and school? Mm-hmm, three or four in a public high school in Chicago. We had a Bible study, me and three, three or four other students. And one was a Jehovah Witness, but she would be in the Bible study <laughs> with us. And so um, we just kind of jailed. And there were a lot of Christian kids in that school, multicultural, multiracial. And uh, I think the leadership for me got honed when I was about a junior in high school. It was the trajectory was up at that point. So I want to talk about the call of God in your life. And I'm excited to talk to you about that. But before I get there, I'm going to skip a lot of years and just ask you about Christ today. Okay. What about your relationship with the Lord today? What is that like? It is the most intimate, (laughs) um, uh, dear, a simple relationship has become more and more simple as I've matured. Mm-hmm. Um, I am reaching a critical birthday. Um, and <laughs> no numbers here spring, on the program. Oh, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you <laughs> in the spring. But uh, I have learned to trust. I mean, the trust piece, you know, for me is a, is a big deal because uh, there were in the different things that happened in my life caused me not to be so trusting of people, especially even Christians. Mm. But as I've gotten older, I have learned to depend and had wonderful people in my life, watch them come live this life, die, pass on, and uh, uh, watch them trust Christ in a way that I've never been able to do before. We'll continue to learn about the life of Felicia Thompson, our guest today here on First Person. Stay tuned. After listening to today's program, visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com, to learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company, whose support makes this program possible. FEBC is actively broadcasting the gospel in nearly 50 countries in whatever local language is necessary. Always upholding the authority of God's Word, FEBC broadcasts reach millions with God's message of love. Learn more about FEBC's story and the devotional, How Shall They Hear?, at firstpersoninterview.com. 
My guest on First Person today is Felicia Thompson. Now, we've known each other for a number of years, although we haven't had much contact the last few no, years. And no, we haven't. I, I'm sorry about that. I, I wish we uh, had more contact together. But your husband, Steve, is involved in, in ministry yeah, as well. Yeah, he's a wonderful man. I've um, been married to him. We'll be 38 years this year. Um, and he has a call on his life to help and to minister to men who are in and now out of jails and prisons mm. in the state of Illinois. So he's acted as the senior chaplain for Cook County Department of Corrections for 25 years, served on the chaplaincy council, ministered, have literally seen thousands of men come to Christ, and been involved in creating a discipleship program at Cook County that I don't know if it still exists, but it was pretty um, significant in people's lives. Well, you tell Steve that he's uh, he's my target sometime to sit down on this program with me and tell me his story. Now he's got an interesting yeah, story. Yeah, I want to talk to Steve sometime mm-hmm. in the near future. Mm-hmm. What about, um, we talked about how you came to Christ and the, the turmoil of the times, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a call in your life, I sense, and you've had a number of very interesting positions. You've pursued <laughs> education, mm-hmm. um, but there's this call. Tell me mm-hmm. about that. I, you know, I think that from a little kid, and it could be just from being the oldest of a bunch of kids, I am just, uh, the Lord has blessed me with the ability to teach people and to communicate information to them. And that in itself happens in a number of different ways. There's a um, went to college and majored in sociology, social work, um, started a not-for-profit. And all of those things, when I look back at what I was doing, was teaching people, first of all, using the Word of God, how to live mm-hmm. and how to live a better life. And in and, and several ways, God has allowed me to be used in that way. So First in the social services, and then second in academia, I taught for and was on uh, the administrative staff of a college for about 11 years and 12 years, worked with students who came in who needed extra help, worked with foreign students for many, many years, and then taught uh, basic how do I get through college and live classes for that period of time. After that, um, rose up through the ranks of the college to um, work directly with the president there and then wanted to go back into the trenches again and, and see what social work and community would be like. That was a deliberate turn. That was a deliberate on turn. On your part, yeah. you felt called to go back yeah, about into two, that. Th- about 2008, uh, I had been there probably almost 10 years and, and had felt the call in God's life. I need to be back in a neighborhood. And I was teaching also uh, community development, community partnership and transformation to students at the college, and I wanted to do it again. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I was at a CCDA conference, Christian Community Development Conference in Florida, and folks walked up to me and said, you know, we World Vision has this position open we think you'd be great for. And so I applied, and it was a long process, but by 2009 in January, I began um, my journey as executive director for World Vision in Chicago and uh, stayed there for three years and learned all the 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 joys and sorrows of being an executive director, you know, building staff. <laughs> a lot of responsibility. Letting people go, raising money, all those kinds of things. But um, it was a wonderful experience. And then um, World Vision decided to take a different direction, and it was a- apropos and a good time to, to part ways. And so we did that, And but, but I did it knowing that God had, there was another call mm-hmm. on my life to, now, take what I'd learned there, take what I'd learned at the college, take what I'd learned starting a social service agency in Inglewood, and then be able to distribute wealth, mm-hmm. distribute knowledge, 
And so I am here now at Christ Church of Oakbrook as the Director of Domestic Missions. And we're in your office here Yeah, today. we are. This is, we are this is where office. you operate yeah, a nice, from. cozy office. Well, the call has always been the same, hasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the location has changed. It has changed. And the, the position has changed. And the names but don't have you been think changed the call to protect been, the yeah, Yes. Right. <laughs> but don't you think the call has been the same? It's the same. It's pretty constant. And it's to teach. It's to develop. It's to have hard conversations with communities and with people. Um, I just and and I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but I am the only African American um, in leadership on staff here, and we are in a very rich, rich suburban area. But this church has a call on itself hmm. to minister to those because things are changing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you why is it important that you're here. It's important because we are looking as a church community and a church family to be able to bring the gospel in a tangible, uh, real way uh, to communities out in the western suburbs. There are pockets of poverty that are created on their own because of the fall of the market and the financial market in the area, the loss of jobs, also because of the implosion of the projects in the city of Chicago mm-hmm. and the vouchers that have changed. And so you've got the the uh, inf- infusion of immigrants out in the western suburbs. So poverty and a lack of access to uh, resources is is growing out in this area. Well, guess what I've been doing for the last 25 or 30 <laughs> years? And when I left World Vision, I had actually was trying to create a partnership with this church, gave the card, my business card, to the director of outreach, the pastor of outreach here, and said, when you're ready to fill, helped, we talked through a position that they wanted to see happen one day. I said, well, when you're ready to fill that, call me. I've got some students that would love to work at a place like this. Well, Two years to the day almost when I gave him that card, I got a call saying that they were looking for someone. And I said, well, actually, I'd be interested. And coming from World Vision, they figured an executive director would want to do this. <laughs> but I did because I actually helped create right. some of the language behind right. the position. Give me an example of what you're able to do to help people in this context. Well, right now, one of the fun things that we just finished is the completion of a, uh, I would call it a demographic study of the area. And it's called the, the neighborhood we're looking at. It has high need, high need for jobs, high need for after school care. I am able to, with the help of staff and an assessment team and other church members and the pastors, of course, interview folks in that community so that we develop partnership and a buy-in hmm. to those community and we come alongside them. Not we don't come in and run it, right. but we ask, what do you need and how can we help you do now, that? Now, from the outside looking into this community, I would never see that hmm. because there's an image of prosperous oh, yeah. uh, neighborhoods oh, here. Yeah, yeah. But but you get under the surface then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've worked with a, uh, another man who's been successful doing some of this with Wheaton Bible Church and they know where those pockets of need are. Um, a lot of times you see it. You Sometimes you see people come here to the church who need benevolence, need, need help, need housing, and we're able to help. But there is a greater need in this area of a pocket of people that unless someone reaches them, and, not, and, and you know, the gospel is not just Jesus Christ died for your sins. The gospel is living life with people. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to enable our church in this next year as we celebrate our 50th anniversary mm-hmm. to do that. It really is very exciting, Felicia. I want to get back to your life, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a lot of life and ministry ahead of you, but looking back over what's happened so far, what what just uh, strikes you as God's hand on mm-hmm. your life? 
you know, protection, his his goodness to me. I in in our community, <laughs> growing up, there was a song called "I Got a Testimony," and there's a song. The words say, "When I look back over my life and I think things over." I can truly say I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. And so God's uh, just faithfulness to Steve and I and to our entire family over these years um, to our, in our marriage relationship with our children um, to to remain married in a day when people are not doing it and to be in ministry together mm-hmm. has been fun. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that just still surprises me because if, if I had thought about what my life would look like, it I would have never thought it to be like this. Looking back into those neighborhoods where you grew up, Mm -hmm. what do you say to young people today? That there's a way out, but there's got to also be a way out for your soul. You know, the spirit, I I think as I go back and I, and I still stay connected to those communities. I don't, I've not moved or removed myself from there. I'll hopefully be mentoring some young women have done that in the past. I'm mentoring some 30 year olds now that life can be different for you, that God has something for you other than what you see. You know, what you see is, is uh, violence and you see poverty and you see uh, tenements and you see those types of things. There is life outside and inside mm-hmm. of all that. Mm-hmm. And so the call, like you said, is still the same. Yeah. And uh, How could we pray for you and Steve? Uh, well, just that we remain healthy so we can continue to do what God has for us. Um, we have, have had our ups and downs in ministry, but most of them ups, I would say. And so we can um, speak life into younger couples who are doing what we've done over the years. And, and um, uh, that he would continue to bless our marriage, bless our children uh, with, with, with husbands and children themselves, right. as we talked about earlier. But um, I am just, I don't know, Wayne, maybe it's just a contentment. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that same contentment that in my verse, one of my verses is um, that God has begun a good work in you and he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so that we would keep seeking out what that good work is and do it. He will complete it. He will. If we are faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All we have to do is just listen, follow, watch. Our guest today has been Felicia Thompson, the director of domestic mission for Christ Church of Oak Brook, Illinois. As you can tell, Felicia believes strongly in the church serving its neighborhood through Christian community partnership programs linking the church and neighborhood resources. For more information, visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, our guest will be Kevin Belmonte, the author of a literary biography of G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton said that it's really important for us as we journey through life to really give thought, take time and consider what the purpose of our life is. And faith for him was the great beacon. And faith for him illumined everything else. And I just think of that with regard to Chesterton. And I think for those who take time to seek out his books, is a marvelous journey there, and it's a journey waiting to be taken. Join us next week for our conversation with Kevin Belmonte and learn about the life and writings of G.K. Chesterton. To listen to an interview you may have missed here on First Person, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and click on the archive for the long list of conversations available to you. And then to leave a comment, use our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. First Person is produced with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company. Two young men named Bob Bowman and John Broger established FEBC in 1945 with one goal in mind, broadcasting Christ to the world. And today, FEBC's programs are heard on AM and FM stations worldwide, as well as by shortwave, satellite, and the Internet. 
Learn more about FEBC, which receives 2 million listener responses a year, when you go to our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you to join us next week for First Person. 